In this podcast, Marina Parry, ESMO Open Digital Editor, speaks to Amanda Herbrand, a medical doctor from University Hospital Basel. The results she's discussing here have just been presented at ESMO, and here we discuss them further. Morning, Amanda. Good morning. I think, first of all, uh, for the people who weren't able to attend your presentation, could you start by describing your project, giving us the, an, an overview, for example? Um, yes, gladly. So we have a quite a complex project. It is um, organized in three objectives and it is about off-label use in oncology. So this is the main topic. And in our first objective, we wanted to look at the prevalence of off-label use in Switzerland. So Switzerland will be our country of interest where we will take our data from. We are going to look at patient uh, data and uh, see how often off-label use was requested from the health insurer. So, of course, you have to reimburse the treatments and off-label use is not necessarily reimbursed. And we want to look at how often is it requested, how often is it reimbursed. So this is our main objective, the first one. In the second one, we want to look at the underlying evidence. So... um, for the off-label indications requested, are there randomized clinical trials supporting that drug use or uh, is there any evidence at all? And if how many, how many studies, when were they um, publicized? And um, this will be our second objective resulting in an evidence overview. And in the third objective, we wanted to merge the results from objective one and two to see if there's an association between the reimbursement of off-label use and the underlying evidence. So is the evidence the reason or is it does it help in decision-making in reimbursement of off-label use in the treatment of cancer patients? Thank you very much. Now that your results have been announced, what did you find? Tell us some more about that. On objective one, we found that about 20% of all cancer patients, or at least I have to say patients that received drug treatment. So we had a look at those patients in especially this was our eligibility criteria, because of course it does make more sense to um, to look at off-label drug treatments in patients that actually received a drug. Um, and those were 20%, so 20% received a request for off-label use from the health insurer. And from these 20%, we found that uh, actually 70% of them are reimbursed. So we have an acceptance um, of the treatment and 30% are rejected. So this is the main on the prevalence, um, which I think is quite interesting because 30% is actually quite a lot. Excellent. Um, were you able to look into the reasons for the rejections of those 30% of off-label use? Yes, and it was very versatile. So sometimes health insurance has said there is no evidence. So sometimes they use this excuse in um, rejecting off-label treatment. Sometimes it was that there is other treatment options available. So, um, for example, if it was a, an especially new treatment um, that was not yet approved in Switzerland, they say, it, yes, it's first line and The evidence sounds quite nice, but there is different treatment options available. So why not try this first? Um, I think these were the two main um, reasons why um, it was rejected. Okay, excellent. This is a very interesting project, quite an unusual project. What what were the reasons uh, for starting this? 
Um, so I think our team came from two directions. One was the medical oncology field, and uh, we are all working in the medical oncology, and this is part of our daily business. So we are writing requests for treatment basically every day. And um, you had a perceived feeling that the decisions by the health insurance system were arbitrary. You couldn't really tell if you write a request for a patient, will it be reimbursed or won't it be? And you couldn't really tell there was no predictors, no factors. So this is why we wondered, are there factors? How are they deciding? How are they making these decisions on reimbursing off-label treatment? And um, I think this is where the idea was born. And on the other hand, we're working closely together with the um, Department of Clinical Epidemiology in Basel from the university. Um, and they have been doing a project on comparative effectiveness in innovative treatments in cancer. And this has been like the pre-project uh, and um, they were looking at newly approved treatments and it was like a logical step afterwards to also look at off-label treatments. So these has been... Um, these have been the two main yeah, influences on the idea to do this project. When you started the project, um, did you have any ideas uh, about uh, either the reasons or the, uh, the numbers that would be reimbursed? And were you particularly surprised by anything you found or, or was it as you expected, really? We didn't really have an idea on the numbers, although there has been uh, a study by one of our associates um, that looked at the off-label use in Switzerland as well, but it was more from the already being treated side. So they looked at what part of the treatment that happened have been off-label. And so we had like a rough number on which to calculate with, also for our power analysis. Um, but we found actually that for us, it has been a bit less. So they found 30%. We are now at 20%. Um, but I think something between 20 and 30 have been the numbers that have already been found in other different studies. Since you work in Switzerland, you based your results uh, and your study in that particular healthcare system. Obviously, it's probably quite different to many other healthcare systems in Europe. But do you think that your numbers or your results would also be applicable outside of Switzerland? And if a study like this was repeated um, in another healthcare system, you would find either very similar results or quite different results. What do you think? I think that you have to look at it from different angles. So if you look at the treatments that are being described or prescribed, I think um, they are probably more or less the same everywhere because we have, or we're trying to have in the medical world, a same standard of treatment. And when we are running out of treatment options, I think oncologists or prescribing physicians have more or less the same ideas on how to continue. Um, but I think on the healthcare system itself, it is probably difficult to apply to other systems. I mean, Switzerland is a very diverse healthcare system. We have, I think, around 50 or 60 different health insurances, health insurance companies. Um, which is quite a lot for such a small country. <laughs> and um, you could probably yeah, apply it a bit to countries like Germany, France, maybe even the US who have a similar kind of system. But I think when it comes to centrally organized systems like the NHS in the UK or Scandinavian countries, um, then it is probably 
very difficult to make any assumptions. But in any case, you would probably have to repeat the study in these countries. And I actually know that some of them are quite interested in doing so. Well, that's very exciting. Um, yes. What do you think the impact of your analysis will be on patients in the healthcare system? Because um, you have some findings that could be very useful. Um, as you said, the reason for starting this project was wondering whether the decisions were arbitrary or whether they were based in evidence. So now that you have found some reasons, what do you expect the impact to be? So our, our main result, which we, will, which we also showed at ESMO, um, was that uh, actually it is probably very arbitrary. So we made an association between um, the evidence and the decisions and we found that actually there is none. So um, evidence is probably not the reason or one of the predictors on how to make a decision on reimbursement for the health insurance companies. Um, so ideally, we hope, of course, that it might change the system a little bit to a more equally and more fairly accessible. We already we tried to work on a platform on which to, which to use for reimbursement requests so that you have like a standardized form on which to input all your information, all your requests for the patient and then send it to the health insurance. So this could be a follow-up project and ideally this would also be connected to underlying evidence. So to make it more than just a form but really make it a tool um, to use for um, yeah, getting your patient the best access to the needed treatment. That sounds very positive and I, I hope you're successful in that. You were relying on a lot of data uh, to be able to perform your project. Um, did you find any of the data retrieval difficult? Um, and if so, why? Or conversely, were you surprised that this data was readily available and you could just scoop it up uh, and do your analyses? Um, I have to say both. I mean, of course, we were very reliable or we were depending on the quality of the patient files. But we were lucky that in all three hospitals that we were working with, they had um, a digital patient archives and most of the files were really accessible in a digital way. So we could do all the data retrieval online or with our computer. I mean, of course, you still had to go through the file and look for the information and put it in our database. But um, we also built a very... I think, clever and very intuitively usable database for all the data extraction. I'd say it was, it was quite all right. Of course, some of the information is missing, so we have, do have some missing files or missing information, and we will do some yeah, missing data calculation um, in our final publication. But um, I would say, all in all, it has been decent quality of data. That's very good to know. It means we can uh, trust in your, in your analyses. On a slightly more technical aspect of your study, you're a medical doctor, but uh, you were using a lot of statistical methods in, your, uh, in applying to your data. Were you helped by um, statisticians and, and how did you choose the statistical methods that you were using? The methods were designed by our two team leads. Um, which is uh, Benjamin Cassenda. He's also a medical oncologist, but also has a PhD 
in epidemiology, so he had the statistical knowledge. And also Lars Hemkins, which is a senior scientist with the clinical, um, with the Department for Clinical Epidemiology in Basel, who also has a PhD um, in science, so in, in epidemiology. So they both were very competent on the statistical parts and um, for the log for the multivariable logistical um, model, we will get some help as well, or some, let's say, consultancy from the statisticians of the University of Basel. Is there anything else you'd like to add about your study, about um, anything that you, uh, you found surprising or difficult or easy, uh, something that you learned, something that you particularly enjoyed while doing this study? Yes, for me as a young oncologist just starting my training, it was very interesting to learn about actually all the treatments. So although I didn't have much experience before in the field of medical oncology, I learned a lot about the different treatment schedules and um, it was very broad um, yeah, knowledge that I gained and I'm very happy that I had the opportunity to do so. So I think I yeah, learned quite a lot. Great. It's excellent that you've had this opportunity to present your data at ESMO also as a young oncologist. Um, part of this podcast series is also to highlight young oncologists and the work, of, uh, the work they do. So that's fantastic. You talked about publishing your data, but you have also, you've already deposited a manuscript uh, on MedArchive, which is the uh, newly created preprint server for uh, medical research. Um, can you tell me a bit more about your experience of depositing um, the manuscript on MedArchive, whether that was something that uh, was obvious to you, whether it was an idea that came about um, by your own idea, or whether it was something that your supervisors were interested in, and it's been on just over six weeks. Have you, have you received any feedback? Yes, the idea was actually by one of our um, senior scientists, by Lars. Um, and uh, for him, it was, I think, clear that we should put it online openly because it is very important to share your research results or even just the methods. Um, I mean, this is a rational design paper, but still for such a um, complex project, it might be interesting for scientists around the world to see how we did it, how we approached the issue with the different objectives and um, the data extraction and everything. So I think it is quite important to make the knowledge you have public, publicly, uh, publicly assess, accessible. Um, and this, I think, was our main idea to put it online and the process itself was very uncomplicated. So you just uploaded it and it had, I think, two days of review. And um, then you got an email saying your file is open and you can share it now anytime. And um, yes, we received, or at least yeah, I got some emails from different journals asking if we want to publish our results there or our, um, our original design paper. But sometimes I had the feeling that it wasn't really the target journal that we were hoping for. Um, so uh, yes. And I think you also uh, found our study through the original paper, isn't that right? I had a look at the schedule for ESMO and I found that uh, you were presenting and I thought it was a very interesting topic uh, on which to do a podcast because I wanted to find out more. Um, and when I looked you up, I found it was on my archive, and that really helped in preparing, obviously, this conversation. Um, and I personally am an advocate of open science and 
sharing data. So I was I was really pleasantly surprised uh, to be able to to discuss that with you. A final, slightly more personal question. Um, you're a medical doctor. You're going to start your medical oncology training. That's correct. Yes. How did you get involved in this particular type of project? Because I, I'm not familiar with how it works in Switzerland, but um, in research in the UK, for example, you might be doing a very lab-based project or um, something that is uh, more experimental. This is, this is a slightly different kind of thing. Uh, was it something that you pushed to be involved in or was it something that was offered to you and you thought, yeah, that sounds, that sounds very interesting? Um, it was offered to me in the first place, so I um, I was in Basel for an internship during my last year of med school and um, met the team around this project and uh, a couple of months later I got offered um, the position to do this research with the team and to me it sounded very, very interesting and also a great chance um, since I just graduated from med school to start in research since I always wanted to do oncology and um, to me, it sounded like a really interesting project because I was always interested in evidence-based healthcare because I think, especially in oncology, um, it is very important um, because there are a lot of novel treatments emerging very quickly and the landscape of treatment is changing very fast. And um, I think evidence needs to be sound um, so that we do treat our patients right and and offer them the most suitable and hopefully the best treatment that we can offer and that there is so um yeah i learned a lot and i'm very glad to have participated in this project well thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us amanda and i wish you all the best uh, in the future and with your projects and thank you again thank you so much marina